Sri Vishnu Sahasranam, name 911, is Shabdatiga, the simple meaning of which is he who is beyond words. Here we are discussing about Bhagavan. Discussing means using words, but he's beyond words. So what are we talking? Just a lot of useless nonsense? That's a puzzle, isn't it? If he's beyond words, then why are we discussing so much? And then it means it's all meaningless. Listen on to be enlightened. <laughs> Parashrabhata explains this, that his glory is so great that even Adishesh with his thousands of mouths who is glorifying him incessantly or even all the Vedas with their innumerable branches <clears throat> or even Goddess Saraswati is unable to fully, properly, completely describe his glories. Baladev Vidyabhushan gives the same meaning. He, Vishnu, has Ananta Kalyana Guna, unlimited, all beneficial qualities. Everyone has qualities if we take in the meaning of characteristics. Krishna has all conceivable qualities. He also has inconceivable qualities. And the extent of his qualities, his glories, his personality, it's not possible to fully describe. In Vishnu Sahasranam, the thousand names of Vishnu, uh, the names, they bring out different facets of his qualities. Every name describes a different quality. Or as we are finding, Every name can be unpacked so that it describes various qualities. So one of his qualities, as described in this name, Shabdatiga, is that he's beyond description by words. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to describe. Our purification comes in describing his qualities to the extent that is possible for us. He is Punya Shravana Kirtana. And that name is coming up after about 11 names. Punya Shravana Kirtana. It's, it's pious, it's purifying for us to hear and chant about him. Uh, another angle on this name is that even though the Vedas describe him 
Ultimately, he is beyond the descriptions of the Vedas. In the fifth of the Vedanta Sutras is the famous statement, Ikshate na shabdham. He is beyond his same meaning, beyond sounds, beyond words. Shabda means generally sound, more specifically words, and even more specifically it refers to the Vedic words. Uh, Taitari Upanishad, another famous statement. Yato vacho nevartante aprapya manasasaha. That <clears throat> words cannot reach him. We cannot, we cannot reach up to him by words. The mind is not capable of reaching him. Or, or attaining him. Now, this shouldn't be taken as an absolute statement. It is qualified by the very fact that the Vedas describe him. Sarve Veda Yatpadam Amananti. The, the Vedas have a specific object which they refer to. But Shabdatiga, this name emphasizes that although we are to know him, we cannot fully know him. Even the Vedas, which are the highest level of knowledge possible for humans or even demigods, even the Vedas can only touch a fragment of his glories. Vedo vadanapi haring na samyak vakti keshavam Madhvacharya states in his Bhagavata Tatparya Nirnai that although the Vedas speak of Hari they cannot describe him completely. The Vedas are infinite, but Hari is more infinite. Is that possible? Can infinite, can one infinite be more than another infinite? Does that make sense? What do you think? Well, in the 20th century, a mathematician proved that one set of infinites can be more than another set of infinites. You know this? You're nodding your head. You're a mathematician. Huh? Yeah. Okay, let's, let's think of an infinite set of numbers, beginning with one. The next number is four. The next number is seven. The next number is ten. Yeah, it's an, in, an infinite set of numbers. One, four, seven, ten, thirteen, sixteen. You can follow the pattern. Yeah, add three every time. 
One, four, seven, ten, thirteen, sixteen, nineteen, twenty-two, twenty-five, twenty-eight, and so on. Now take another set of numbers consisting of the numbers in between. That's two, three, four, five, uh, and then one, it comes one, one, four, no, no. Now what are we doing? Two, three, five, six, then we come up to uh, eight, nine, yeah, and then eleven, twelve, like this. So the second set of numbers, if it's an infinite set, it, the, the num the, the it's more than the first set. It has been proved mathematically. Don't ask me what the proof is, but I'm not a, I'm not a mathematician. Anyway, the point is that the Vedas are infinite. But Hari is more infinite, so the Vedas describe him but cannot do completely. All the great demigods, even Lakshmi, they're all unable to describe him fully. Yeah, Ananta Shesh has 1,000 mouths. Or it can be said he has unlimited mouths. But even he admits that with all his mouths, in all the great extent of time, he cannot even describe the glories present in the tip of one toenail of Lord Sri Hari. When it was proposed to, there is a, a great acharya in the Sri Vaishnava Sampradaya, Vedanta Deshika. So when it, when it was proposed that he write some poems glorifying the lotus feet of the Lord, he said, no, that subject is much too high for me. So then he wrote Paduka Sahasram, a thousand verses in praise of the sandals of the Lord, the shoes. Even up to the present day, devotees, they visit Vrindavan and take the dust of Vrindavan on their head or on their whole body. One grain of dust from Vrindavan or piece of sand from Vrindavan is more valuable than everything in the whole material world put together because Krishna has touched his lotus feet to that sand. Uh, in this regard, a devotee in the Sri Vaishnava Sampradaya, commentator, V.V. Ramanujan, Cite some examples from Namalva's Tiruvamoli. Tiruvamoli. It's, it's Tamil, and unless you're Tamil, it's hard to pronounce it. Just like for me, to pronounce Russian, uh, I think not this lifetime. Maybe in another lifetime. 
So, his power, beauty, qualities, splendor, activities, achievements, there's no end. Quantitatively and qualitatively. There's no enumerate, we cannot enumerate all the great activities of the Supreme Lord. And even one of his activities, we cannot come to the end of the glory of that. In Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami says that I'm simply giving a summary of the pastimes of Lord Chaitanya according to my ability. That even one moment of the pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu could not be described fully in millions of books. Does that sound like an exaggeration? It might sound like an exaggeration, but that simply testifies to our limited capacity to understand. In materialistic consciousness, we are like frogs in a well. <laughs> we have no idea of the great expanse beyond the well. So if we hear that the, glory, the glories of the Lord, even one moment of the pastimes he performs, the, the, they cannot be described even in millions of books. If this doesn't seem to make sense to us, it testifies to, the, to our limitedness, not to the unlimitedness of the Supreme Lord. Our limited, our, our intelligence is so limited that we cannot even begin to conceive of the unlimitedness of the Supreme Lord. And therefore the atheists being very proud of their science say, we have not seen any God. We don't believe in God. It's not scientific. <laughs> and Krishna laughs. And he cries. These people are so foolish. They're such rascals. And Krishna sends Srila Prabhupada to lash them. That is one of the important services to Srila Prabhupada to combat these atheistic, pseudo-scientific demons who think they are very intelligent, but they are rascals. Because according to their own brain capacity, they cannot conceive of the existence of God. So getting back to the description, or that Namalva gives, that the Tulsi garland around Vishnu's neck is proof of his overlordship, his mighty dominion over everything. How can I describe in words? Remember this name, Shabdatiga, is about words. So how can I describe in words 
what I have enjoyed by seeing the Lord. And then Namalava gives a challenge. If any of you think that you can describe his greatness, his magnificence, his glory, go ahead, give it a try. So we are trying. It could be said that the Vaishnavas are foolish because they're trying to do something, but they know from the very beginning they won't be successful. We are trying to describe the glories of Bhagavan, but we know from the very beginning we cannot. So is it not foolish to attempt to do something that you know you cannot do? Generally speaking, it would be considered to be foolish. But in this case, it is the most glorious activity. It is the only proper engagement for the living being in either the conditioned or the liberated state. Even though we are incapable of describing the glories of the Lord, it is our glory to attempt to do so. And it is His mercy that He allows us to do so. He gives us the intelligence to do so. And some Devotees are especially favored uh, in describing the glories of the Lord. The great Acharyas are empowered to describe, the, to communicate to the conditioned souls the glories of the Lord. Srila Prabhupada introduced to the Western world transcendental personalism the personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna. Valmiki was especially empowered by Narada to describe the glories of Lord Ramachandra Bhagavan. Sri Vyasadeva was especially empowered by, again, Narada Muni to describe the glories of Krishna in Srimad Bhagavatam. Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami's descriptions of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Chaitanya Charitamrita are so poignant that even to the present day, devotees, they generally cry when they recite Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. The songs of Narottam Das, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, they speak to our heart so we can't say that the glories of the Lord, even though we can't reach them fully, is not that they're incommunicable. The more we hear His glories, the more our capacity to absorb, realize those glories increases. If we think we've understood everything, then we haven't understood anything about Him. Krishna consciousness is a journey without end. We say, well, we reach the ultimately we reach the lotus feet of Krishna. But it, it is not that we just stop. It never stops. Krishna's glories are always increasing. 
And the devotee's ecstasy in appreciating his glories is always increasing. Generally, the most advanced devotees think themselves the most neophyte. And generally, the most neophyte think themselves the most advanced. Why does the advanced devotee think himself very neophyte? Well, it's something like even in the sphere of mundane learning, a really very highly learned person understands how little he understands. When you know a little about a subject, whatever it may be, you tend to think, oh, I know so much. Because you know more than the average person. But then when you go on and on and on and you start to see how vast the topic is, you realize even though you may be the the world expert in that topic, but you realize how much more there is to understand and you realize you don't really know very much at all. So the most advanced devotee has some insight into how the glories of Krishna are so magnificent, infinite, and even though compared to other people, it might be seen that I know so much, but I know so little in comparison to the full extent of his glories. So I'm really testing your ability to remember long, complex sentences. Very imperfect translation. Very long, complex sentences and translate them. I got on a roll when I was speaking, you know what I mean? That it just, just, so we have to remember that even though someone may be very intelligent and very capable, but everyone has their limits. So we should have, just like they have Mother's Day, Father's Day, Pride Month. They have Pride Months. One day is not enough. I don't think they celebrate that in I don't think they have that in Russia. One good reason to emigrate to Russia. Now we should have Translator's Day. Honor, honor the translators. Yeah, you really have to think about Krishna's glories, in, which is describable in all languages of the world. It's really a deep meditation. You're meditating on, first of all, you hear the glories expressed in English, and then you have to re-express that in a different language. And unless you've done translation, you cannot understand how difficult a task it is, actually. Especially when you have languages which are quite different, with different rules of grammar and syntax and different... The words don't exactly match. (laughs) Different cultural, uh, what shall we say, backgrounds. Especially when we're discussing philosophical points. Oh, it can be very tricky. I was in Thailand for some time. It's very difficult to 
speak Vedic philosophy there because all the words are already appropriated by Buddhism. All the words come from Sanskrit, in Thai also, and, and all their meanings have been taken over by Buddhist philosophy. Anyway, another, another quotation from Thiruvayamoli. You, Bhagavan, you have filled my mind with your captivating, honey-exuding, ex watery, that means tear-filled, kindly lotus eyes. I recall with glee your lying in sleep in the middle of the milky ocean. Oh my Lord, it is not enough that I have the mental experience. I will not be able to put in all in words here. Now that is the poet's frustration. He has such an emotional experience, he wants to put it in words, but words are, you can't fully express it. The best poetry makes our head spin. It conveys the feelings of the poet to the heart of the hearer. But it can never fully and completely do so. Shankaracharya explains the name Shabdatika as one who transcends speech because he is not of a species that can be described by words. And that we always say, Krishna is not a human being. To think that he's a human being is very offensive. Why? He has two hands, two legs, two eyes, two nostrils. He's a biped. He walks on two legs. He has a mother, he has a father. He has children, wives, children, passes stool and urine, has friends and enemies, seems like a human, but to think that he is a human is offensive. Yeah, he has two hands, but if he wants, he has four hands, sometimes he has six hands, sometimes he has eight hands, ten hands, as many hands as he likes. So he's, he's a human, but he's atimartya, he's beyond being a human. Kritavan, Kritavan Kalakarmani Saharamena Keshava, Atimartyani Bhagavan. What's the next word? Atimartyani Bhagavan. Hmm? Gura Kapatamanusha. Yeah. Krishna and Balaram, they, they appeared like human beings, but they're beyond human beings. So it, it's very mysterious. They're, they're cheating humans. Kapatamanusha means cheating human beings. They're, they're, not, they're human, but they're, if you think they're human, they're, they're cheating you by appearing as humans. Bhagavan appears as a big pig. Is he a big pig? In one sense, yes, but 
in a more important sense, know. So what is he? What species is he? Within 8,400,000 species, which one does he fall in? He is in his own category, Vishnu Tattva. So although words describe the, uh, the form of a human, the form of a pig, the form of a turtle, and although Bhagavan appears in such forms, he is beyond the descriptions of the zoologists. Shankaracharya, in this regards, refers to the Taitiriya Upanishad passage, which we already quoted. And he also, Shankara also quotes from the Vishnu Purana. Nashabda gocharo yasya yogi dhyam parampadam. His supreme abode transcends speech and he is meditated upon by yogis. So he is infinite, eternal, inconceivable, beyond the description even of the Vedas. However much we tune up our brain, however intelligent we may be, he is beyond understanding. Point is, he cannot be grasped simply by sound. He can be meditated upon. He can be realized to some extent. But words ultimately fail to describe his full glories. Uh, but sound helps us to come closer to him. It's not that sound is completely useless. He manifests himself as sound. For example, anyone give any examples? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Who said Om? That's true, that's right also. It's also true, but we generally prefer to chant Hare Krishna. Even the most powerful words conceived of materially are powerless to even approach him. The first verse of the 87th chapter of the 10th canto of Bhagavatam is spoken, is a question by Parikshit Maharaj, which is relevant in discussion of Shabdatiga. Shukadev Goswami, uh, sorry, Parikshit Maharaj addressed Shukadev as follows. O Brahmana, how can the Vedas directly describe the Supreme Absolute Truth who cannot be described in words? The Vedas are limited to describing the qualities of material nature, but the Supreme is devoid of these qualities, being transcendental to all material manifestations and their causes. And the answer to that is the Sugadev's answer is that long chapter of the uh, 
prayers of the personified Vedas. The essence of his answer is all that although he, Bhagavan, is avang manasagochara, beyond the scope of words and the mind, by his own mercy he reveals himself in the heart of the devotee who he favors. Another completely different meaning of this name, Shabda Akroshaha Shatrukritam Avanam Tadatitya Nirakritya Gachati Iti Shabdati Gaha. In the battle, the enemies are calling out, challenging, insulting. But ignoring all of that, Krishna goes on into the fight. He's not, uh, he's not cowed, he's not made fearful by the shouts of the enemies. I'll finish this discourse. Shantakaram bujagashayanam padmanabham suresham vishvadharam gaganasadrisham megavarnam shubangam Lakshmi Kantam Kamalanayanam Yogi Bidhyanagam Yam Vande Vishnam Bhavabhaya Haram Sarvalokaikanatam Hare Krishna Jayati Janiniva So Deviki Janmavado Yaduvari Parishat Swaradurabir Asyan Adharmam Sterachara Vrijanagana Susmita Sri Mukaina Vrajapuravanitanam Vardayan Kamadevam Vaha Puram Nadavaravapu Karnio Karnikaram Vibradvasa Kanak Kapisham Bajayantim Jamalam Randran Venor Adhara Sudhaya Purayan Gopavrindaya Rindaranyam Svapada Ramanam Pravishad Gita Kirtihi Sri Radhaya Pranayamahima Kidrishovane Ayvasvadyo Yenad Bhuta Madhurima Kidrishovamadiyaha so kyang cha syamadhanu bhavata kidrishang veti lovat tad bhava dhyasamajane shachi garbha sindhu harinduhu hare krishna hare krishna 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 hare 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 rama hare rama 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 hare hare